Today we're on the third Sunday looking into the story of Nehemiah. You may remember the first uh, Sunday we talked about him. We said he was a man with a broken heart. He had gotten news of the condition of Jerusalem and his people who were there, and that uh, saddened him greatly. Then we turned to our next week and looked at his response to that, which at first was one of prayer. Forty days he prayed and fasted and then understood what God was to have him to do. Today we pick up with Jeremiah now, after having gotten the support of the king, who would give him the time away, kind of a job furlough you might call it, give him time away to go to Jerusalem. On top of that, he gave him letters in hand to assure leaders along the way that he was going with the king's approval. And then also he had uh, uh, letters of cooperation for those who supply him with the needed uh, things so they could rebuild the wall. So it was a, a great moment for Nehemiah. Only now he arrives back in uh, uh, Jerusalem and the work is underway, but it's difficult. And it's in that difficulty that we confront another thing that we learn from Nehemiah. That Nehemiah was a man who knew how to deal with the momentum needed to keep a job going. Now I thought about a, another single passage verse that might help bring that into a spiritual understanding. It's from Philippians 4.13 where it says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That is a strong motivating force in the life of all of us who are Christians. How can we use that? I was uh, heading up a children's camp. It's been a while back, a number of years ago, and in the summertime in the district we were in, and uh, one of the games we decided to play one day, uh, it was a hot summertime, was a tug of war. But we wanted to make it interesting, so we went out back with the help of a few friends and a lot of shovels and dug a pit that was about three feet deep, and we ran water in it, and we got in there and mushed it up so it made real good mud. We decided this is the place to have a tug of war over, is that pit. And we got out there on the day. We told them what was going to do if I got a swimsuit on. And, and we got to play in tug of war. And we'd make you know, so many girls, they'd get so many boys, and they'd have a good time. Uh, we decided that if you let go of the rope, they would throw you in the water. You had to stay a hold of the rope if you got dragged through it. And it was all a lot of fun and laughter until somebody got the bright idea that, you know, the adults should be against the children. <laughs> there were 20 of us. There were over 100 of them. It was not a very smart move on the adults' part because they did drag all of us through it and had one fun doing it. You know in that game, if you ever played tug-of-war, momentum is everything. Once you get it started going your way, you have a great chance of winning the tug. If it goes the other way, it's almost impossible to change it once it starts heading in a certain direction. So momentum is something that is important. We find it in other facets of life such as in sports I know back in the football season when uh, um, Nick Chubb was injured for Georgia in the Florida in the Georgia Tennessee game I get out in a minute Georgia-Tennessee game, I felt the momentum go out of that team in the game. If you haven't been watching it they slightly didn't know how to play the rest of the game. It's also found today in politics around us all the time. You know, there are candidates always out there trying to get in the news. They're buying advertisement. They're trying to get people who will uh, back them, not only financially, but some who will uh, back them with their support. 
And they're taking poll after poll to see what momentum they can gain. And now in a few weeks, the first one of the uh, primaries are going to take place. And they will capitalize as best they can on every single uh, margin of momentum they can build. We understand that, don't you? And we get sick and tired of it, right? We get tired of all that going on. But that is a part of the electoral process around us. It is greatly affected by momentum. So momentum is not a small thing in life. It affects us in lots of ways, uh, and it affects us not only in things like that, but even in small tasks. Uh, A few weeks ago when our work team had gone, I went with them a couple of the days. The first day we were working in a house that needed some lower part of it, resheet rocked and insulation. When we first started, we had the materials, but you know, when you're just starting, you're not quite sure of the place or what you're doing, and the first hour or so was very slow. But then we got a, got a good groove going. Everybody got their spot, got their task down. We weren't in each other's way. We had our place to work. And so for the next four and a half, five hours later, we did a lot of work because the momentum builds during the process. It's really important. It's also uh, even found in uh, children's stories. I thought about the, the child story that probably children out here could have read it before. Uh, is the one about the little engine that could. Remember that one? Maybe you remember reading it yourself as a child and, and reading it to children later on because it kept saying what it says, I think what I, I can, I think I can, I think I can. And as it begins to go, you realize that it builds momentum. And I, I know some of you have worked on trains. I just have made this observation that when trains are ready to start off from a dead stop, the first thing the engineer does is it puts it in reverse. You notice that? Because he wants to back off that that link so that there's as much give to the start forward as he can. He doesn't want to try to pull the weight of every car at the same instant in time. It's not but a fraction of a second or so between them, but that's important as momentum is built and as soon the train pulls off and gains its speed. That's, it's important in life. Momentum fits in so many places. It also fits in our faith. When our confirmation class is taking place during these three and a half months, it kind of begins slow. We have a retreat where they begin to know each other, but then we we introduce into it that you now have mentors. They begin to know each other. We we get into the lessons several weeks. We begin to, to go and experience different uh, uh, things about our faith. This morning, they're going to another church in our community that worships very different from us. Uh, they'll be going uh, to a synagogue in Savannah this coming Friday, another way of learning about the roots of our faith. All of that's designed to build something of the momentum and the process of where is God moving in your life. You've got to begin to see, you know, what's he doing and what are you going to do in response to him? Uh, momentum is the, always pertains to the church also. We may think sometimes... Some people are sure, if I just pray, God is going to take care of all the needs in the world around me. In fact, some folks are so bold to say, uh, God knows what I need and I love him. I don't even need to pray. God will take care of it. That's not what Nehemiah experienced. In fact, Nehemiah found that, that God sent him over there and he sent him into the midst of trouble. Not just the trouble he thought he would find when the city was in ruins, but he also had a group of people around him that were discouraged. And somehow, as a leader, he had to move them from their discouragement to a willingness to cooperate to the beginning of a task and keep that sustained so that they could uh, achieve their goal in mind. That's what they wanted to do. 
You know, if we are uh, faithful to God, if we keep the momentum going to our faith, we get stronger. If we have a stop and start to it, that is, we occasionally pray, we occasionally think to worship, we occasionally uh, respond in some way with our service or compassionate to others, then we put so much space between it, it's hard to gather momentum to our believing, to our lifestyle, that we, can, we are conformed to what God wants from us. And we have to find a way to connect I think of it this way, is we don't know what kind of vehicle you drive, but you know in, in traffic where you have to stop and start a lot, it takes your gas mileage way down. You know, I don't care what you drive, because having to start the momentum over and over and over again is the hardest way to make it go. And if we are starting and stopping all the time, it's hard to grow in your faith. But if we keep it on track, we already know the ways to do that. Our, our class today is going to learn about Christian discipleship. We know that in prayer and in worship and in service, we begin to learn and build a momentum to our faith that God is, uh, as we study in the Bible, as we pray, as we uh, worship with others, as we find ways to serve, our faith and love of God begins to grow. We feel a strengthening to it. Now, things come along. Things come along that become discouragements and get in the way. Nehemiah had these things to happen. First of all, there were those who came to ridicule them for what they were trying to do. Oh, you don't know what you're doing. You'll never be able to complete that. You ever been in the middle of something and somebody tell you, you can't do it? You know, either it deflates your balloon. It's like, oh, I thought I could. I really thought I could. You want a little train to come back? I think I can. But sometimes ridicule just sucks the energy out of us. And that's where Nehemiah found himself with the people of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah was a, a good leader, a man that understood momentum. He understood the need to be behind them and help them, and he helped them in that journey. And they were not only the, the ridicule, they were open threats and troublemakers. There were people who planned to do violence against them in such a way that they had to make some changes in what they were doing. But Jeremiah didn't, Nehemiah didn't run away, he didn't hide, didn't quit on the task. He simply made adjustments in his plan. There's got to be another way of doing it, he said. Fatigue and discouragement can sometimes threaten our journey as Christians. In this uh, text, there are different ways it's seen. Let me read you some of the verses. The strength of the workers was giving out in verse 10. There was so much rubble they had felt the job was impossible also in that same verse. They feared their enemies could strike at any moment and overtake them. It's easy to become discouraged. We also want to find encouragement. There are different ways you may go about it. One way we can grow in our faith, if we kind of get into the doldrums along the way, one is to make a plan. Think about now, how do I get from here to a new place? And you, you may say, well, I'm going I'm to make sure now I don't miss worship. I'm make sure that I read my Bible some every day. I'm going to intentionally pray. Maybe it's first thing in the morning and maybe again at night and somewhere in the middle. I'm going to plan a way that I can begin a pattern that's going to help. That's one way of creating momentum to our faith. We also uh, focus on God's power and the faithfulness he has shown to us in the past. We know we're not alone. And we are confident in that, that God has a future also in store. And our faith is restored. We begin to build momentum through it. We also remember that you're uh, called 
to give ourselves for things that God desires to happen. So there's a positive plan that God has, not just our own. The church is built on the momentum of what God gives us to do. I think about a few scriptures that share with us also the opportunity of celebrating. Celebration to me renews momentum in our life. In 1 John 4, 4, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Doesn't add momentum for us saying, Already in you there's a spirit greater than anything else around you. There is a victory to be won. And 1 John in chapter 3, if any, someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear friends, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So that builds momentum to show care by our actions. We begin to know our faith isn't just a thought, isn't just a past, it is a present reality in which we're constantly growing. It's something God wants to give to us. We love to celebrate victories in James 4, 7. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Is that encouraging? And that began to help build a momentum to our faith that God has a plan and a purpose for us. There's things he wants to do and he can accomplish through us if we'll let him. That's what God is like. Now, Nehemiah is not the only one who dealt with issues of encouragement or momentum. Paul does also. He said, I preach first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sin and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. He's saying to us, Paul is, that uh, we need to know, first of all, that God is the great initiator of momentum, and that comes in the form of our repentance. Our faith starts, that freshness. As we know ourselves are sinners that we are forgiven by God in Christ. That begins our journey. Our children in confirmation, that many of them have grown up with you bring into the church, and that's wonderful. I think it makes it much easier to teach what I'm teaching. But we also want them to experience the present importance, not just knowing it, but also feeling the truth, knowing it's real for them, that they are, in fact, in need of the same forgiveness that they've heard for others and that Christ offers it for them also. And last, I'll share of a scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. We are humans, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the stronghold of human reason and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Not everyone has it equal in dealing with the struggle of life and how you go, how you begin that facing the uh, struggles that are yours. There's the video for a moment I want us to see. It's called, the title of it is Thriving in Babylon. I'm number 10 of 11 kids, so I'm from a big family. 
had an extremely uh, faithful, godly mom. She loved Jesus and was always teaching us about Christ. Had an extremely violent father, uh, not a believer, abusive. I saw my dad one time come after me with a hammer. There was also other members of the family who sexually abused me. So at a very young age, I was quite confused on my mom telling me how good God was, but all these other things going on in my life, it was difficult. She always would just say little things like, God is faithful, God will work it out. My two heroes were my, uh, my two middle brothers, George and Doug. I mean, they weren't the best people, but I just loved them. I thought the world of them. George um, got into really serious heroin addiction. As I got a little older, he got really bad. And I remember one night I was sleeping on the couch uh, and the knock on the door. And I was the one to answer. Uh, the cops said, uh, somewhere's your mom. And I don't know why, but instantly I knew there was something wrong with my brother. And finally my mom came downstairs and I remember very distinctly hearing him say, your son was murdered tonight. I was angry. I was angry at God. But my mom just said, you know, God's going to work it out. But I didn't know how. I just took one of my heroes. My sister Vicky, by this time, had become a heroin addict. And I was embarrassed, you know, Friday nights, I would see my own sister on the street selling herself for drugs. And all of that led, through, honestly, to a dichotomy in me. There was an immense desire to love God, and there was an immense desire not to trust Him. So I became very depressed, and extremely depressed. So I was going to go back home, and I was going to take my life. I remember it was Wednesday morning when I wrote the note, and I said, God, I give you one more chance. I said, the only reason I haven't taken my life right now because it will kill my mom. And I said, God, please show me that you're real. Show me that you care. Because right now I can't see it. That night, God really spoke. And that night I made a commitment that I was going to follow him no matter what. No matter how hard it got. I said, God, I'll do anything. Forgive me. Through my life, through the difficulties, the struggles, the pain, God has really shown himself faithful the whole way. And I was a messed up guy who was selfish. I was heading the same place my dad and my brothers and my rest of my family was going. And God says, Don, no, I have a better plan for you. And even though Satan had it to destroy me, God had better plans. So you see a life that has struggled uh, with all around it going terribly, and yet God touches that life. We understand a need for our own. That is the ministry of the church, is to help others, wherever they may be, to know the love of Christ, to know that God is out there working with his spirit, that we are not doing it alone. We have his Holy Spirit that lives within us so we can be his disciples. And one last verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You pick almost any part of that verse out. The part I want to start with is this. 
We know that. It's through experience Paul understands. And the same for us. If our faith has about it a certainty of God at work, then we too want to join him in it. And that gives us the courage, even when they're dis- disheartening times, to accept the love of God and to pass it along to others who are struggling. For that is our work. That's what God calls us to do. And that is the momentum to which he wants to build us. In the next few months, we're going to talk a lot about building a building. I think that's secondary to what we want to do here and every Sunday. We want to build a church that meets in the building. The people who are of Christ doing the work of God. That's the greater work. The other is a tool for it. This is what we are about to be God's people. I invite you to think about God in your life and where the momentum is, or maybe where it's not the moment, and to ask how can God enter in and guide you toward the future he desires, both for you and for us as a church together. It is a subject of prayer. Maybe the most uh, clear word we can simply say to God is, Use me, Lord, and see yet what he does. You can do that where you are. You can do that as you pray here at the altar. Either that fits the moment for you. But feel free to do either as we sing our closing hymn. And as we do on the last stanza, I give those who wish the opportunity to come and join the church.